everyone. I just wanted to give you a heads up on two events that are upcoming with Jason. The first is his online 200-hour training. So you can take this training if you're interested in becoming a registered yoga teacher with Yoga Alliance, or if you are simply interested in deepening your practice and insight into yoga. Uh, you can learn more and join the waitlist at jasonyoga.com slash 200. We will let you know when the dates and details become available and we will send you a discount code if you join the waitlist. And then the second event is Jason will be back in London this coming October, October 13th through 18th. And he will be doing a six day morning intensive that you can join from 9am to noon, as well as the module two of his hybrid teacher training. So if you want to get those details, go to jasonyoga.com slash London. Okay, enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti and this is Yogaland. Hi Jason. Hello there, Andrea. How's it going? It's really good. Good. Yeah. So we just did, we just ran and published a live episode that we did in London and it was titled, I'm loosely, is this thing we're doing still yoga? And I have been pleasantly surprised by the audience response. People are really into and excited by this episode. So I thought it would be great to, one of the things you did in that episode was you went through five principles that can make even the most modern yoga practice a yoga practice and not something else. So I thought since people were so interested in that episode, it would be good to do a follow-up and walk through how you can teach to those five principles in a modern yoga class. Got, you know, to kind of like pick your brain for ideas for how you do it and, and how other teachers can incorporate the principles into their teaching. Yeah. And I, th- I think that the incredibly positive reception that we had from that episode is testimony to the self-awareness of so many of our listeners and, and the modern yoga community, and also just a sense of care, like a sense of justice and respectfulness that I think that we want to make sure that we are representing yes. ourselves and the yoga tradition well. And I think that we also know that we're in a different time and place and that we're using many different techniques. And most of us use a very different set of languages and postures and techniques evolve. And figuring out how to manage that tension between the past and the present is, I think, really important. And, I, and I, I'm really proud of that episode. Totally. And, and I, I feel like you, I'm really proud of our, our listeners too. I mean, yeah. it's, I think... It's just so easy to be inundated by by negative <laughs> feedback and yeah. like yoga's dead and yoga's this and yoga's that and it's all commercial and oh my god and there are perfectly valid criticisms right because let's face it like you were you kind of alluded to this things there's tension like things change and and so so many yoga teachers are caught between this pressure of make it a hard, fast class. And even by the students, let's say, right, not just by the studio owners, but make it sell out, make it hard and hot and fast. And that's understandable. But I think like we want to strike a balance and and be guiding people and actually teaching people about the subject. Yeah, exactly. 
And so we laid out really these five common denominators of the yoga tradition. And one of the things that we also did is we talked that there really never has been a singular agreed upon set of techniques, principles, or practices in the yoga tradition. The yoga tradition has always been a very heterogeneous an incredibly diverse set of worldviews that are often in, in conflict with each other. But we do seem to have over time these certain common denominators. And I asked everyone to ask themselves to not judge others, but to ask themselves if their own practice and their own teaching represents and still feels like yoga based on these questions. And the first one is really not really to ask yourself whether or not as a yoga teacher you are still helping people work with moksha shastra or liberation teaching. So does your class still have some we'll call them liberatory qualities or qualities in which we're asking our students to to reflect on and to to grow beyond their self-limiting beliefs and their their current set of identifications. And as a teacher, how do we facilitate this, right? I think it's a bit of a challenge, but I've come up with what I think are three simple ways to help facilitate this, right? And the first one is just literally to speak directly to your students and introduce the concept of Moksha Shastra. Now, you can use that language or not. I don't think it matters whether or not you use that phrase. But the point here is we want our students to go beyond self-limiting beliefs and over-identification with their temporal self, right? To know that like they're more than they think they are in the simplest of terms, right? And so I think the first way that we can do this is just to hit it head on. And to just literally at the beginning of class with some consistency or towards the end of class, literally speak directly to this concept, just like many other teachers speak directly to ahimsa or satya or self-study, to actually just overtly address this as a concept and let people kind of sit with it and say, listen, I there is this concept, so forth and so on. When you show up in this class, you you probably find yourself judging yourself from some time to time, and you probably find yourself limiting yourself to certain beliefs about yourself of what you can and can't do. But I want to see if you can question that. I want to see if you can go beyond it. Okay, so that's helpful. I mean, I think it's interesting that, like you said, we will refer to certain parts of the Yoga Sutra, but it's not as common for everyday yoga teachers to say like, okay, and here's the ultimate aim, right? Yeah. Because it can feel so out of reach. Yes. But I mean, like, how do you, how do you speak to that if someone's like, but I allowed it'll never happen for me. Well, okay. So I think we have a second option. Let me finish the first option first, which is to like really lay it out. I think another way that we can think about Moksha Shastra is all styles of yoga have at their end goal some sort of enlightenment, some sort of liberation, some sort of universal freedom that comes from the practice, right? That they, 
they are outcome-oriented practices. And I think that the simplest way to approach this concept of Moksha Shastra is, and is just to try to help students realize that they are more than sometimes the person they identify with and that they can probably do more than they think that they can do. So on the first topic, one of the things that we can always do, and I'm going to talk about this again later, is from time to time, whether it's a public announcement in class, a social media post, a newsletter, is do some basic recommended readings to our students. And one of the ones that I have recommended forever, just like an all-around excellent book that is very accessible and provides us with really good insight in the broader uh, philosophical layers of this practice is The Heart of Yoga by TKV Desikachar. Mm -hmm. I just think it is such a good like beginner's yoga book to forever yoga book. It is, yeah. And and these concepts are laid out pretty well in that, right? Mm -hmm. So the second thing that we can do is just kind of what I was just saying a moment ago, which is to approach this concept of liberation a little bit more subtly. Because like you're saying, right, if I at the beginning of class be like, okay, we're going to work on crow pose and we're going to work on diaphragmatic breathing and we're going to strengthen our core and... FYI, the main thing we're trying to do in yoga is fulfill ourselves into transcendental self-knowledge and liberate ourselves. And we're going to work on enlightenment. Yeah, right. That, that, that feels a little bit like, okay, well, well, well that makes bakasana seem easy. Um, so I think, that the, I think that in a more simple way, we can remind our students that they can learn that they can grow, that they can help develop greater skill in their practice, right? And I'm going to give you the simplest example. When I first started teaching yoga, I was I, cla- I was classic tight guy. I could not touch my toes. And when I could not touch my toes, I assumed I would never be able to touch my toes. Then I was able to touch my toes. Then I was able to take my hands flat. Then I was able to stand on my hands and as as like trivial as that is, when I was able to touch my my toes, I proved myself wrong. And what I mean by that is that identification of I can't do this now, therefore it's not for me and I'll never be able to do it. I proved that that was false. I proved to myself that that was a wrong, incorrect, self-limiting belief. And when I became a yoga teacher and became much more situationally extroverted, right, knowing how to, like, be big in front of a class, that was a huge liberation from how I experienced myself and how I identified with myself. And again, I proved myself wrong. So uh, in a way, it might sound negative, but to me it's positive, reminding ourselves that we often get to prove ourselves wrong in yoga by showing up and developing skills and and to understand that we actually we actually are much more than we think we are and we can do a lot more than we think we can do and that i that i think is a very simple but genuinely liberating experience 
because it, it at very least it inhibits or it puts the brakes on that voice that always shows up and shuts yourself down when you're trying to learn something new. Like the, I, the last thing I want to say about this is I literally, when I became semi-proficient in basic yoga poses, it wasn't just about that. It was, I learned that I could learn about myself. I learned that I could grow. I learned that I didn't already know everything, you know, totally. now I know everything, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think, I think this, this is really big. And then the final one I think is similar, but simply by encouraging people to believe in themselves and helping them problem solve on the mat. So what I mean by this in terms of kind of liberation teaching is, you know, it's very common for students to get stuck in a a physical puzzle that they don't know how to solve. Their knee hurts every time they do bridge pose or, you know, they, every time they do half moon pose, they kind of like fall out of balance. Helping them actually achieve, like understand what's happening and develop the skill to react and to respond correctly to what's happening and believing them, like as a teacher, showing that you believe in your students' ability to grow and learn is really valuable for their mental and emotional health. And so I think we have kind of a range here of how we can address the topic from very overt, this is Moksha Shastra, we're trying to do X, Y, and Z, to kind of helping people learn that they can do more than they can do to just believing in them. Even if they don't believe in their own ability to do something, like you just have to, as a student, believe that your students can learn and grow and evolve in in all sorts of different ways. And even if it starts physical and material, I think that's okay. I think that's just working with the gross layer of our being. Yeah. I'm going to add one, which is um, a little, it's definitely more esoteric. So people might find it helpful or it might just be more helpful in your own practice. But I think it's just helping people become aware of their awareness, right? So helping people to, and this is like, again, this spans like all the wisdom practices. So in, in Buddhism, it's really referred to much more as consciousness, it's the mystery of consciousness. And in yoga, we usually refer to it as awareness. So it's like, we're not just, like you said, we're not just doing bakasana. We're trying to do bakasana, and then we're watching how our mind responds to the trying to do bakasana. So we're developing this ability to become aware of our thoughts and aware of ourselves. And that is part of like the mystery of the universe. Like we're not just a brain and a body that does things. We are the consciousness that is propelling these things to happen. And once you start to kind of step back and realize there's this whole mysterious part of us that is, can watch things, you you do become more connected to this sense of something larger than yourself. So when you're teaching someone just to watch their breath, you're teaching them to witness themselves. Yeah. You're teaching them 
to get in touch with their consciousness. And, you know, like a really, really classic self-inquiry practice is just to kind of ask yourself, like, who is the me that is watching me? And, and that's a way to get in touch with, and you kind of keep going deeper and deeper into that. And that's a way to get in touch with just the, this mysterious concept of, of being. Yeah. We're going to come back to this. We're going to come back to components of this in, in, uh, uh, for number five. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the second principle that you talked about on this previous episode is um, yoga involving both theory and practice. So unpack this for us. How can people incorporate this? Yeah. So what we have is just kind of to lay into the concept for a moment. Every approach to yoga has a philosophical or theoretical framework and things that you do, like literally everything. So yana yoga. In this, the theoretical practice that we engage with is self-liberation through knowledge, discernment, and understanding. But what is the thing you do in yana yoga? Well, you discern, you study. It's a very cognitive discipline. Karma yoga. Karma yoga, it's the the framework is liberation through selfless service but we have to actually do the selfless service right bhakti yoga right we have this theoretical set of principles but you also have to do the devotional work so in any kind of asana based yoga practice we already have the practice down pat, right? Like if you're listening to this and you're a yoga teacher, you have the practice part checked off. Like we're doing that. And where I think a lot of us either know, either feel like we fall short or know that we fall short or worry that we fall short is providing our students in our practice classes some philosophy, some philosophical framework, right? So to me, there's really like two ways of doing this. There is way one where as a yoga teacher, you just overtly decide to incorporate more philosophical principles and teachings in your classes. And the way that, you know, this is most commonly done is through really simple little conversation or a little story or a little Dharma talk in the beginning or at the end about, like I said earlier, satya ahimsa, right? Any of these like philosophical components of Patanjali or something as big and macro as yoga is helping ourselves know we're more than we think we are. So you, we can do it in this way where we speak much more directly to it. We pick a, a reading or we t- pick some sort of principle and teaching and we just speak to it. Another way that we do this that's pretty simple and straightforward is through theming. Like we are going to focus on this month, Hanumanasana and selfless service, right? So kind of hooking the postural practices and the postural focal points into some sort of, you know, well-adapted philosophical principle or framework, right? The other way that we can do this, and to be honest, I I feel like in ways I feel like what I'm going to suggest here is maybe even more effective. Um, But I some, but I often think that 
teachers don't realize they can do this quite as much, or maybe we feel like we're passing the buck, um, which is to encourage our students towards self-study and reading certain books, right? Like this was something that I had early teachers who very regularly said, those of you in this room, if you haven't checked out the heart of yoga, if you want to learn more about yoga, this is just such a good way to complement the work that we do in our classes. Because the reality is, let's say I do my best possible job theming around a teaching of Patanjali and I do my best possible job giving you a three-minute intro and a three-minute outro about that theme in Patanjali, man, that still is going to pale in comparison to actually reading like the introductory chapter to a good interpretation of Patanjali. You know, when we're, when we're thinking about some of the deeper existential and philosophical uh, principles of the practice, I think they actually require conversation. I think they require thought. I think they require us doing some svadhyaya, some self-study. And I don't think, I'll, I'll put it another way. I don't think that every single thing that there is to learn about yoga can conveniently be packed into a 60-minute yoga class. I just don't. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's okay to theme around it and speak directly to it. But I feel like as yoga teachers, it's very sensible to reference books, to include them in your newsletter and posts. And you can even do what you've done with uh, with your Substack, um, which is to do a little book club. You know, and and this is more of like your time, but if you really want to teach your students more about yoga history or philosophy or tradition, I think you have to be, I think you have to really consider other forums that are, that are even more conducive to engaging with some of these elements than, you know, the, the 30 seconds you're in pigeon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're both Yana yogis. So that's also like a very natural comfort zone for us yeah. is the, you know, reading and listening and, and just getting deep into the cognitive part of it. Sure. That's kind of our interest. So the next one is the practice includes the concepts of abhyasa and vairagya or working hard and letting go. And you were just saying um, when we were talking about this before we started recording that this is that these are these seem to be in pretty much every yoga teacher's wheelhouse. You know that that these these concepts or these practices of effort and surrender or working hard and letting go or striving and practicing non-attachment to the outcome of the, that striving, man, this is as, this has carried over into modern yoga. Actually, I think pretty well. Yeah. And I think sometimes our interpretation, like when there's backlash against yoga or working too hard in yoga and it's just physical, maybe sometimes it maybe sometimes in that scenario it doesn't represent these concepts but i i even think in that scenario most people get this and i, I this is kind of one of those things too where i think the reality is you if you're going to do yoga with some consistency you are just naturally going to come up against these concepts of working hard and letting go because the reality is no matter how hard 
you work in yoga, whether it's mentally, emotionally, or physically, things are not always going to go the way you want. You're not always going to have the hamstrings you want. You're not always going to have the pose you want. You're not always going to have the abs you want. You're not always going to have the mental or the emotional stability and clarity that you want. And so I think there is this, this kind of natural thing where the, it, it's, it's like the nature of this practice reveals abhyasa and vairagya to us, right? It's like, it's not really like a choice. It's like, it, it's, it's like a, a revelation that these are things that we have to accept. And so I, I feel like as a yoga teacher, I don't feel like we have to work upstream that difficult on this one. I think these are really important general concepts to speak to, and we can speak to them in the same way that we speak to the yoga philosophy. In fact, from the, um, from the previous discussion that we were just having a moment ago, you can actually just have abhyasa and vairagya be some of the philosophical principles that you speak to overtly, right? And I, I'll say th- there's one little thing that I say at the end of pretty much every Shavasana I ever teach in public class that goes towards these ends and everyone can take it, which is I ask people to take everything that felt good in their practice, everything they felt they did a good job of and accomplished and let it go. It's over. And everything that didn't feel good and that was annoying or frustrating or difficult, let it go. It's over. And so I, I, I try to to get people to to regularly invest themselves in this process of letting go what has just happened, regardless of whether or not you liked it or not like it, and just be here in the present moment. Yeah. I, w- I want to just kind of poke my own opinion in here and say, the most obvious way to to reinforce it is is to be cl- make it clear to people that shavasana is important. Um, uh, this is a drama I've been beating a bit this year because I'm just more and more experiencing modern yoga classes where it's it's not emphasized at all. It's it's presented as very optional, and so. I understand that people are busy and students are busy and students often will, will leave anyway if they want to leave, but, but it is okay. And a reinforcement of this teaching to make it clear that Shavasana is part of surrendering the whole practice that you just did and allowing yourself to let go and be in a different mental and physical state. So the next principle, the fourth principle is yoga includes a consistent effort of self-transformation. It is outcome and goal oriented. Yeah. And I know this always seems a little bit almost aggressive to say that yoga is outcome and goal oriented, right? Because in so many ways, we were just talking about the letting go and the surrender. And in so many ways, our yoga practice, I think, gives us a sense of freedom and comfort and grounding and space because it's it's a place where we don't have to get involved in the turmoil of competition and proving our worth, right? And in so many ways, we learn in yoga that hopefully that we're just accepted for who we are in this in these practices and traditions. 
at the same time, this circles back to the first concept of yoga as moksha shastra. And what we see in all of these practices and traditions is that yoga is actually trying to facilitate a certain state of being. And it's a set of practices that is, yes, it's asking us to be in the moment, but it's also really asking us to learn something much more deep and profound about ourselves. And that comes from doing a lot of work. So this first one about kind of helping our students like have a consistent effort towards self-transformation. The first thing that comes up for me as a teacher is you can have your students set an intention, right? And this is not genuinely, this is not something that I do, but I think it is a very effective thing to do. And it's very common is to have a sankalpa for students at the beginning of class to really have some sort of outcome that they're looking to when that outcome might be a feeling tone. It might be the ability to focus. It might be that they're sending their energy and their thoughts and their well-being to someone else. But in this situation, you do really have this idea that I'm going to do this practice for that outcome and that intention. And I think it's incredibly helpful. The second thing, which is for you, the teacher, to set an intention and to tell your students what that intention is. Now, this is something that I do in virtually every one of my classes, including the GLOW classes. So what I mean by this is at the beginning of most of my classes, I say, hey, everyone, thanks for coming. We are going to focus on X, Y, and Z. We're going to focus on lengthening the hips and lengthening the hamstrings. Here's why we're going to do it, and here's why it's important. And I try to be concise, so I try not to spend more than 60 seconds or so doing that. But I kind of always let people know, hey, everybody, we're going to focus, we're going to have a complete balance practice, and I really want to help you become a little bit more proficient in the, in the Bakasana family. And even if you really struggle with Bakasana, don't worry. I just want you to learn one thing about it. Even if we just start to figure out why you struggle with this pose and you keep struggling with it, that's great. We just want some insight. So helping people not just feel good, but helping students practice with a certain amount of intentionality towards developing a skill or an insight or a, a set of attributes that we're looking for. And then the, the last one, which I think is has a very strong impact on what we're talking about, but it's the least overt. So if I if I want my student to have a like a consistent kind of focus on transformation, then I want to make sure that I sequence in such a way that they can work on something for more than a moment. So this is where I say, and again, this is like, this is, this is its own big, long conversation. Um, but this is where I ask teachers to really consider to be fairly consistent in your sequence for about a month, right? So for example, right, going back to this Bakasana, hey, everyone, for about the next month, every class we do, balance, comprehensive, they're all going to feel good, don't worry. But we're going to have a couple of focal points. We're going to focus on the Bakasana family, and we're going to focus on strengthening our anterior core. 
That won't be the only thing that we do. That's just a little bit of a highlight. And I want to do these things enough over the next month so that you just feel a little bit more familiar and comfortable with these poses and that region. And, and I, and I feel like this is a, this, this shows a level of intentionality and deliberateness so that our student can really get a sense of, yeah, I'm here to learn. I'm here to grow. I'm here to practice. I'm here to feel better and connect to myself, but I'm, I'm really look, looking to grow and looking to develop myself through this discipline. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly facilitates the idea that there's an aim. Sure. Right. Like that makes it completely clear that there's a framework, at least on a physical level. You know, when you say the word aim, I realize that's a word I should use instead of goal. Mm-hmm. Because it's, I think I think, I think it's the same a better f- word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a much better word. Surprise, you're the editor. <laughs> I, I think in my mind it's the same thing, but it's less loaded. It's less loaded. It's less loaded. Yeah. It's yeah. it's and it's more like you're aiming yeah. your sights in that direction, and that the process is is yeah. as important as yeah. the end point. Yeah, that's a better that's a better framework. Well, there you go. Oof. Okay, so no the- wonder you're the host of this podcast. <laughs> Um, Okay, so the last principle is yoga is a gradual process of replacing unconscious patterns and beliefs that are more in line with self-realization. Yeah, and that sounds like a lot, but I I think this is really what you were speaking to earlier. Let me start with just like a simple story. And and I I believe that in the last episode, I brought this up. And if not, I bring this up with some regularity. I had no idea. It was the last conversation. I had no idea how quick to frustration and how judgmental and how reactionary my mind was until I first started doing yoga. I really didn't because it was in that context. First of all, I was frustrated. I was annoyed. I was, yoga was so much harder for me than I thought it would be. And I, I didn't really enjoy it and I didn't really want to be there but I stuck with it. And so in those moments of just down dog, like 30 seconds in down dog felt like an eternity because I wasn't moving around because I was in one place. I was having to just literally sit with the mental and emotional discomfort. And in that discomfort, I got to really witness it. Like I got to really see my mind bark a lot Whereas all other situations where my mind would get frustrated or irritated, I could walk away from, right? I would just escape or I'd just like throw my pencil or, I'd, or in sports. Right. In sports, it was kind of like probably celebrated. Desirable. Yeah, it was yeah. Desirable. Because in sports, especially in something like hockey, it's all, it's all about quick reactions. Mm. You're not sitting in a thing. It's all about quick timing and quick reactions. So you don't really have, it's not like you don't feel frustrations and emotions in that sport, but you don't really have to like, you don't really have to be with them in the same way, or at least in my experience of it. Right. And so in a lot of ways, yoga helped me see, um, my mind stuff a lot better and it wasn't pleasant. It's still sometimes not pleasant. Sure. I feel like it was really the nature of the beast. And so many teachers talk about yoga being like holding up a mirror to us. And it's so true. Like we really get to see what's there, right? 
if you go to a yin class, you're really going to see what's happening inside your mind Mm -hmm. because you're not going to be doing a lot of other things. It's quiet and slow. It's quiet and slow, Mm -hmm. right? Or if you're in a meditation, right? And, And let's say you're not hooking in super easily or going with it. You're going to really see what's happening for you. I think maybe even slightly less so in vinyasa because we get to keep moving. But for but my point on this is, and I, I know that we can all like realize this, when we do our yoga practice, we really see what's up. And we you and we really see what's happening within us. And I would say we we bear witness to many of the things that were already there, but we were unaware of. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I feel like just kind of telling our students this is this first step in this this idea of gradual process of, of of replacing unconscious patterns and patterns and beliefs is to kind of communicate to our students like just take the time to see what's happening. Just take the time to check in. Notice the feelings that are coming up. Notice the thoughts that are coming up. Don't push them away. Don't indulge them, but just experience them mm-hmm. because we can't replace something that is unconscious until we become more conscious. Right. Right. And so for me, those negative or what I'll say now is like negative thoughts or patterns that would come up for me, I had to see them in order to start to reframe them. Right. You know what I mean? In order to like let them go and try to understand what's at their root and and so forth. So I I think I think a big part of this is as a teacher, encouraging your students just to listen to their inner monologue when they're practicing, listen to their thoughts, listen to their feelings, help them understand even the concept of Mm self-talk. Like I can guarantee you the vast majority of any listener, the vast majority of the people you know have never heard the phrase self-talk, right? We just, I don't think that most of us even know there's a narrator up there, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? And so encouraging our students to just notice what's happening in their body and mind, notice the self-talk, and to notice their patterns of reactivity. Mm -hmm. Um, I I say this to my students, well, I used to say this to them all the time. I say, coming to my class, I don't expect it like what I want you to experience if you came to my class is not necessarily what I want you to experience if you came to my house for a dinner party. If you came to my house for a dinner party, I'd want you to enjoy yourself from beginning to end. Well, and you'd I'd want them to go to home at, at 8 p.m. <laughs> you would do the dishes. Party. You yeah, would do yeah, the yeah. dishes as a yeah. sign that it's time for them yeah. to leave. Let's I just be honest. I might also tell them it's time to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in a yoga class, do I want you to enjoy it? Totally. Do I want to? Do I want you, or do I expect you to enjoy every moment of it? No, because that's never what this is. Like even the person that's a passionate runner, do you enjoy every moment of running? No, it's about the totality of the thing, including working through some of the some of the difficulty and the resistance that presents itself, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I just think that this is such a a, a beautiful environment for us to see what's happening inside, for us to be empathetic with what's happening from a feeling like, I feel this way, it's okay, I'm just going to let it process, I'm, I'm having these thoughts. But then to start to notice 
the patterns of those thoughts and feelings that arise and to notice the patterns of thoughts and the feelings in relationship to your postures. Like every time I do a forward bend thinking you're tight, you're going to hurt your back, blah, 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 right? These are unconscious patterns and behaviors and we have to see them. And then we can start to kind of step back and ask ourselves like, does it matter? Yeah. First of all, is it, is there's this so even many true? things you can do with like, awareness. Yeah, there's so many there's things so you can many do, things. right? Like, yeah, yeah. My hamstrings are tight. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Why, why do I think people, why do I think? And also like, okay, my hamstrings are tight and it frustrates me and okay, I'm allowed to be frustrated. It's just a feeling. There's just like so many beautiful things yeah. that happen with developing awareness and self-awareness and no, I'm with you. Like, I think if I had to, I actually, as you're talking, I'm just thinking if I had to just take one thing from the yoga practice that has been the most beneficial, impactful on my whole experience of myself and my life, it would be developing awareness. Yeah. You know, and, and, and like you said, I mean, you can make it pretty, you can be pretty overt about it. I do remember Sarah Powers early on talking about it in the, in the context of, conditioning, right? Our conditioned mind, like another Buddhist concept uh, um, or language, I should say, that you can look at your patterns. And like you said, you can say to yourself, like there's so many options. You can say, okay, this is happening and I kind of want to shift it. You can say, okay, this is happening and I'm just going to watch it. And it's, I'm going to accept that this is kind of part of who I am. Or you can, you can look at it and say, huh, what part of my early, you know, uh, habit formation conditioning made me feel this way, right? Like for me, the, a good example of that would be just my, uh, my mental chatter about my body Yeah. because I was a ballet dancer and because I developed really young and I had big boobs for a ballet dancer and big hips, I was t- literally singled out in class for not having the right body type. So yeah, that voice is consistent and deep and there it's still there. I don't know. I don't know that's ever going to go away, but at least I'm, at least I know where it came from. And at least I can, um, I can practice a little bit of Pratipaksha Bhavana, which the translation of which I'm blanking on right now, flipping the script. Cultivating the opposite thought. Yeah, when something isn't working, try the opposite thought thing. So that awareness of that negative body talk for myself, I, once I could think about, oh, this isn't just reality. This isn't just absolute truth. This came from somewhere. Then I have another option of how to deal with, with that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's powerful concept. There's also final thing I want to say on this is there's almost no other environment in which we are encouraged We are like someone that we trust, the teacher, is asking us to just pay attention to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Just notice how you feel. And and if you feel great, great. If you're struggling, that's okay. We'll get through that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There's like, there's so few environments where that's even understood as, you know, like a tolerable or a desirable thing. So true. And so what does it create? It kind of creates this scenario where... Um, we often don't know. We often don't notice. We, we just often don't notice 
And when we do notice, it's we usually have a negative response to the negative feeling. We usually we usually layer on to the negative feeling if that's what we're feeling instead of just kind of witnessing it like a color or a texture or a taste. It's just a phenomenon, mm-hmm. right? It's a mm-hmm. thought or a feeling. And I, 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 I genuinely feel for me like of all of these things, this thing is, has been the most impactful to me, mm-hmm. right? This, this, this point. And I don't, I don't know how much like everything I do is in line with self-realization, but the, the, at least this, like this first part of gradual process of becoming aware of my unconscious patterns and behaviors and beliefs and trying to witness them and understand them and when appropriate redirect them mm-hmm, i mm-hmm. think is uh is hugely liberating in and of itself mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well this is making me think that i should put a question out there to people and ask you this is just happening impromptu but um ask the listeners if you have an experience that you can share of a moment in yoga class or after yoga class or in meditation, something that was prompted by self-awareness practice that really changed your experience of yourself. If you would send me a little a little story or you can also send me a voice note, send it to support at jasonyoga.com. I thought you were going to give me your phone number. And I'm going to figure out how to feature these. I have some ideas. I've been thinking about these ideas for a while. Voice notes are great because then people can actually hear your voice. You can email me the voice note. You can email me a note. Or you can send me the voice note through my Instagram DMs as well, Andrea Ferretti. So the assignment is tell me a concise story of an experience that you had either on or off the yoga mat, on or off the meditation cushion, but an experience where cultivating some self-awareness changed your experience of of your life. Got it. Yeah. That's it. Nice. Okay, Jason, we got through our list. You did really well on this assignment. Thank you. Thank you. Go on. Go on. (laughs) Can we just keep just keep keep talking? Okay, okay. Now we got it. Yeah, offline. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I will put show notes on our website, which you can access at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode three zero six, and I'll put a link to the previous London episode where um, you can find the episode that we're referring to. And I just appreciate all of you listening so much. And I also appreciate all of my Substack subscribers. I just put some extra pull quotes from Sally Kempton about awareness up on Substack. So if you want to go follow the things I post there, you can go to yogaland.substack.com. And it'll ask you to enter your email so that you can subscribe. You can choose to subscribe for free or you can do a paid subscription, which helps support the podcast very much and my work. And just again, thanks for listening. And I can't wait to hear your stories. And until next week, enjoy your practice. Enjoy your practice.